Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from February 21st by Pastor Randy, titled Reset, What It Takes to Reconnect with God, Part 5. All right, for the past several weeks, we have been talking about how everything, everything in the Christian life depends upon our connection to Him. On loving him, knowing him, hearing his voice. It all depends upon that. Without that, there's just, there's no real Christian life to be had. And so we're going to finish up this part of the series. But before we hit these last couple of points, I just want to nail this down. I want, I want to hopefully bring this home uh, to you guys this morning. So I just, just by looking at it from a little bit different angle. And I want to start off with it this way. In the Bible, there are two ways in which God is present in our lives. One is called his omnipresence. And that just simply means that God exists everywhere at the same time. There's not a piece of him here and a piece of him in another part of the world or another part of the universe. God exists everywhere in his fullness at the same time. That's called God's omnipresence. But there's also another type of way in which God is present. That's called his manifest presence. His manifest presence is when his presence is revealed in such a way that it's felt within our hearts. It may result in tears. It may result in us falling down on our faces. It may result in just being overwhelmed with how big God is and how small we are. It may result in peace or joy or fear. But we just, we just get overcome. We just feel his presence just right within our hearts. Now, there's a, a passage of scripture that, that does a great job and helps us understand the difference between these two. And, and that's what I want to start out by looking at this morning. This takes place right after the Israelites have their golden calf experience. They've been delivered from Egypt and they get, go around for a little while. Moses goes up to the mountain and they decided, Moses, he's gone too long. Let's build a golden calf and have this idol to worship. So after that takes place, here's what we read in Exodus 33. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, go up from here, you and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt to the land I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob saying, I will give it to their offspring. I will send an angel ahead of you. And we'll drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Pezzarites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up with you because you're stiff-necked people. Otherwise, I might destroy you on the way. So what God is saying is, look, you go ahead and you go. Take these people, but I'm not going to go with you. When he says, I'm not going to go with you, that means... God is omnipresent. It's not going to be there. It's not like they're going to go to Canaan and, and God's not going to be there. And they're still going to be able to do some things. They're still going to be able to drive out to all these other people who live there. But just without the manifest presence of God. So here's what God is saying. Paraphrasing it. You want a small God? Fine. You can have a small God. I'm staying here. I'm not going with you. See, God is not going to give his manifest presence where people prefer a substitute. That should be sobering words to us. That should be a sobering thought to us. That we can go through our Christian life 
without God's manifest presence in our lives, without him being there with us. And a lot of times we're okay with that. I bet if you'd have talked to the Israelites, most of them would have said, okay, that's fine. We'll just go on without God. But not Moses. Moses had a completely different view of this. Here's what Moses says a few verses later. If your presence does not go, Moses responded to him, don't make us go up from here. If you don't go with us, don't want to go. Don't want to leave here. It wasn't enough for God just to send his angel and just sort of be omnipresence. See, when Moses goes up to the mountain, he's going back up to the mountain at this point. He goes up back up to the mountain. He's not begging God to let Israel live. He, he's begging God to come live with Israel. What he's saying is, God, it's not enough to have you above us. It's not enough to have you for us. You have to be with us. You have to be Emmanuel, God with us. Now, that ought to hit home to us. That you can have God's provision. You can have God's protection, but not have his presence. This is why David in the psalm says, Lord, just to dwell in your house forever. That, that, that's just what I want, just to dwell with you in your house forever. And when he says dwell in God's house, he's not talking about going to the temple and having some 24-hour, seven-day-a-week church service. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, God, I just want to be in your presence, just to be with you. It, it, David also says, one day in your house is better than a thousand elsewhere. God, just to have one day in your presence would be better than a thousand other days in the best other place there is on earth. Just to be in your presence. It's what he says when he says, as a deer pants for, for the water, so my soul longs after you. God, I just have to have you. I just have to be in your presence. See, when David is talking about this being God's presence, he's not talking about his omnipresence. He's talking about his manifest presence. He's talking about connecting to God, making sure that connection is there. Back years ago in Disney World, they used to give these exit surveys. And what they found out in a lot of these exit surveys is that people were leaving disappointed. And the execs at Disney World couldn't figure it out. Hey, we're the greatest theme park in all the world. How can people leave disappointed? But then they, they noticed there was a common thread through most of these exit surveys. And the people weren't disappointed in the long lines. They were disappointed in the high prices. They had to pay for everything. What they were disappointed is they spent all that time and money to come see somebody, and they didn't see that person. And that somebody was Mickey Mouse. Then they had another problem. What do we do? It's not like they could put a Mickey Mouse here and a Mickey Mouse there and a Mickey Mouse over there because what if some kid waves goodbye to Mickey Mouse, gets on a tram, goes to the other part of Disney World, and there's Mickey Mouse again. That's like having two Santas at the same mall. Just sort of confusing for a little kid, right? So what they decided to do was every day they'd have a parade right down Main Street, Disney World, and the grand marshal of the parade would be none other than Mickey Mouse. And it worked. People didn't leave disappointed anymore. They, they saw who they came to see. And when people come to church, they don't come to see me. They don't come to see Jeremy. What, what they really want is, is a sense of the presence of God is in this place. May they never leave disappointed. But what, that can't happen corporately till it happens individually, right? That has to be with us. 
as a people. We can't be a people who are like Martha, just content to have Jesus in their homes instead of like Mary that has to have him in their hearts. So which one are you? One that you'll settle for God's omnipresence? God, just knowing you're around, knowing you're going to protect us, knowing you're going to provide for us, that's okay with you? Or are you going to be somebody like Moses, somebody like Mary who says, no, 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 I've got to have that connection. I've got to have his manifest presence with me. See, what, what we need to understand is that when we don't have that connection with God, we become functionally an atheist. Now, what do I mean by that? We'll say this, God, I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe in your Bible. But don't tell me what to do with my life. God, I believe in you. I believe in your Bible. But don't tell me what I should be doing in my marriage. I'm a Christian. But don't tell me sex is just for married people. Yes, I'm a Christian, but don't tell me I have to forgive that person who hurt me. Basically, what we do is we say, God, you know, I'm a Christian. I believe everything. But yes, I want to follow you, but no, maybe not really. Just give me salvation and just leave your hands off my life. Let it be my life. That's where a lot of people are at. Outside of church attendance on Sunday morning, God has no influence in their lives whatsoever. Now, if, if our people in our churches were honest, they'd have to say, that's where they're at. Now, here's the question. Do you think you're fooling God? Do you think you're tricking the God of the universe? Do you think he doesn't know that you come here and just give him lip service on Sunday morning and you live the rest of your life the way you want to? You think he doesn't know that? And the worst part of it is not that you're fooling other people. The worst part of it is that you're deceiving yourself. Is that you think that's okay as far as the Christian life. That's sort of what everybody else is doing. And you're living the Christian life without that connection to God. And you deceive yourself because you just missed what the Christian life is all about. Being with him. Being in his presence. Desiring just to hear his voice in your life, just to know him. So it should be sobering words for us. What he says to Moses. Matthew 19. Oh, let me go back. We did skip this part, didn't we? I did. Y'all didn't. I did. How will it be known that I and your people have found favor with you unless you go with us? I and your people will be distinguished by this from all other people on the face of the earth. See, what he's saying is, is what's going to make a difference between us is, is the fact that you're with us. See, that's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 14, that when people come to the church, they should sense God's presence is there. They should be, they should be aware of that. And we don't want to lose that. That's what makes a difference between us and just every other meeting that goes on. So here's what we read in Matthew 19. Just as Jesus' conversation with this rich young ruler. He says, so you want to be perfect? 
or complete. Jesus said to him, go and sell your belongings and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard that, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. See what the rich young ruler thought was a burden? Jesus thought was a bargain. And what Satan will do, he will try and take your aim, your focus on your stuff in your life so that you're not looking at what the wind Jesus is. So you realize how great it is to be connected to him. He wants to keep you focused on your stuff. And when the rich young ruler heard Jesus say, sell, he probably didn't hear anything else. Sell all my stuff? He didn't hear, but come, be connected to me. Come and follow me. His focus was just on sell. And so he walked away, a good person, but functionally an atheist. Somebody will say, yes, I believe in God, I believe in his Bible, but there was no connection going on. He was aware with God's omnipresence, but he had no clue about his manifest presence. No desire just to be with him. None at all. So it's going to cost. What we have said is that being connected to God costs you something. You have to rearrange your values, rearrange your priorities, put things in a different order. And so we look at this acrostic of an order to help you realize it's going to cost to put things in a different order. Obtaining anything significant involves losing something else. The R, reevaluate what matters most. The D, do not let anything that means nothing keep you from experiencing what means everything. And the E, eliminate, don't compensate, and R, revolutionize how you define a win. We're going to look at two of these to finish up this today. First of all, reevaluate what matters most. Here's our scripture for that. Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in the field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went out and sold everything he had and bought it. So, what I want us to do for the next just couple of minutes is look at some things about these two parables. Real quick, we'll run through this. First of all, the kingdom of God is not apparent to all. See, the, the treasure had to be found. The pearl had to be sought after. There's a, a guy in North Carolina by the name of Rob Cutshaw. He found this little rock he just described as pretty and blue, and he kept it in a shoebox under his bed for 20 years, thinking, someday I can sell this, and it might be worth a couple hundred dollars if I ever get in a bind. After 20 years, he digs it out, finds out it's a sapphire worth millions of dollars. But he just kept it in there for 20 years. He didn't realize what he had. It's like so many people. You can be connected to God. You have that opportunity to have that relationship with him. And people, it's not apparent to them. That's why people can, can go through their life and hear about Jesus and go, eh, no thanks. Because it's not apparent to everybody. They don't realize what they can have if they have that connection to God in their life. So it's not apparent to everybody. Second of all, the kingdom is each one's personally. 
It's not good enough to be under the influence of somebody who's connected to God. You have to have that connection yourself. It has to be your personal connection. These guys had to, had to sell all and get that treasure, get that pearl. Third, the kingdom of God can be entered into from different, different conditions. One guy was searching for it, his treasure. The other guy just happened to cross it. See, some people can just be going throughout their day and all of a sudden that they stumble upon Christ. Like the woman at the well. She was just thirsty. She's just going to get some water. The Philippian jailer, he was just keeping his jail. That's what he did all the time, was just be the jailer at the jail. Or Paul on his road to Damascus. He's going to be a, a great Pharisee and, and kill Christians, just going about his day. Some people just stumble across what it means to be connected to Christ. Some people are searching for it. Like Cornelius, like the Ethiopian eunuch, like Lydia. And then fourth, the kingdom of God is made personal by a transaction. In both these parables, the word buy or bought is used. Now we know that salvation is free. But in one sense, there's also a price. Yes, it's free, but there's a price. Here's a verse in Isaiah that helps us understand that. Isaiah 55, 1. Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water, and you without silver, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. <laughs> so so, so, so there's, a, there's a sense in which it doesn't cost. So think of it this way. You're going on life, you got your trust in these things right here, but then you have opportunity to switch your trust from these things right here to putting it on Jesus. Now, in a sense, it doesn't cost you anything, but in a sense, it costs you everything. Because you have to take your trust from one, one God, one to have his trust in his inheritance, one, one in his comfort, one in his family, and when you take that trust from that and move it to Jesus, there's a sense in which there's no cost, but a sense in which it costs everything. See, if there were 36 ways for you to be connected to Jesus, I'd preach all 36, but there's not. There's just one. And what happens in that one is mostly we get focused on our stuff and we think we can serve two masters. We think we can have it two ways. That we can go along and put ourselves in what we want and be concentrated on that and also be connected to Jesus. You cannot. We've been talking about that week after week after week. You have to choose because you can't do both. The last thing, it's all about joy. It's all about joy. Joy sees these guys when they, when they found that treasure, when they found that pearl of great price. So how the psalmist say, in your presence is fullness of joy. So why, why Jesus would say, you know, abide in me and I in you, and, 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 and you'll have my joy, and, and your joy will be complete. It's all about the joy. Because you realize that what you have when you're connected to God, nothing else compares to it in all the world. And you would give up everything, everything to have that. The next thing, eliminate but don't compensate. There's our E in order. 
See, if you want to be connected to God, there will be obstacles. There's going to be things that's going to try and hinder you. It's what Christina was talking about in an illustration. When those things come about, you have to eliminate those things. You can't compensate for them. You have to eliminate the obstacles. If you try and compensate instead of eliminate, you will not be connected to Christ. Here's our verse, Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let's stop right there at that part of the verse. He's not saying you got a bunch of people in heaven necessarily looking down upon you. Okay, let me, the only point where people in heaven are going to be concerned about what's going on in earth is when Jesus comes again. Then that will have their attention. Other than that, they got better things to do than be concerned about what we're doing. They're in the presence of God, okay? What we're doing here is not that big of a deal being in the presence of God. Don't hear this as saying cloud of witnesses like there's people watching down. Witnesses means they're testimonies. See, he's just gone through Hebrews chapter 11 when he's gone over the testimonies of person after person after person after person. He says, you have all these testimonies. You have Abraham who waited 25 years to get a son. You have Noah for 120 years building the ark. You have Joseph for 13 years being in prison and in jail and a slave and all these things. So we have all their testimonies. That's why it makes sense what he says us, let us. What does he mean by let us? Let us do what they did in order to connect with God. That, that's in context. That's what he said. Let us do what they did to connect with God. Let's do what they did to live by faith. And when it says to live by faith, to be connected to God. That's what I want you to hear. Let us do what they did to live by faith, to be connected to God. What did they do in order to be connected to God, in order to live by faith? They, they laid aside every hindrance and the sin. And that, that, that the right before sin, that's very important. Definite article means he has a specific sin in mind. And in the context, this is a sin of unbelief because he's been talking about faith for the whole chapter before. So the, the therefore, the very first word, therefore, it's a connection between what's gone on before. So that's why I'm trying to give you the context and understand this verse in the context because you can't just take it out of context. You, you miss it. So these sin he's talking about is a sin of unbelief. But it says, let's lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us and run with endurance the race that is set before us. What did they do? Here's the part I want you to focus on. They didn't try and compensate for things in life. They had to eliminate the hindrances to get rid of them. Do you understand there's a lot of stuff in this life that may not be sin, but it will take your focus off of being connected to God? Do you get that? The Bible calls them, or Jesus calls them thorns in this verse right here, Matthew 13. Now, the one who is sown among the thorns, talking about the seed, the word of God, this is the one who hears the word, but the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth chokes the word and it becomes unfruitful. What Jesus is saying is that if you're not careful, just the stuff in this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the worries of the world. Doesn't the world have a lot of worries right now? Isn't people all around just worried about stuff in the world? 
And if you're not careful, that can become your passion, the worries of the world, what's going on in the world, and the riches and stuff like that, that will, that will keep you from being connected to God. They're like thorns, he says. So, not long. Well, it just depends on how you decide to find long. But not long, the snow's going to melt and things are going to start growing, poking out of the ground. And your grass and your flowers. And along with those grass and flowers are going to come weeds. How much trouble is it for you to grow weeds? How much trouble? I mean, how much work does it take for you to grow weeds? None at all. You plant something. You have to fertilize it. You have to water it. You have to make sure it doesn't get too much sun or whatever it calls for. It takes a lot of trouble to grow those plants. Sometimes for some of you, it takes a lot of trouble just to grow grass, right, without stuff in it. But for weeds, we you don't have to do anything. They're just going to grow. We live in this world. There's going to be stuff just by nature being in this world that's going to try and take away your connection with God. Just like weeds, they're just going to happen. And what we're seeing in Hebrews is you have to eliminate those things. You can't compensate for them. You have to eliminate them. You have to get rid of the distractions. Let me ask it to you another way. When does God get your undivided attention? And in the context of the parable that we just read in Matthew 13, it's not that God isn't speaking. It's just your life is too noisy. You can't hear. God wants to connect with you. He just wishes you want to connect with him as bad as he wants to connect with you. But he can't do it because the stuff is getting in the way. All the noise of the world. Listen, that doesn't mean it's sin. He's not saying it's sinful. But if you're not careful, your passion can be on whatever the world is worried about right now, whatever other stuff is going on right now, riches and all that stuff. It's not that any of that stuff is sinful or wrong. But if you let it get in the way of your connection with Christ, you better get rid of it. You better get rid of it. Here are some things that we're going to nail down as we close up this series. Number one, disconnected people are not lost. Good example of this is Samson. Samson lived his life disconnected with God. He was still one of God's persons. He's mentioned, in fact, he's got a line in Hebrews chapter 1. I mean, Hebrews chapter 11. He's still one of God's people, but you get the feeling he could have done so much more if he just would have been connected to God. See, disconnected people, they can have occasional victories. Let me tell you what God did for me last year. Let me tell you what he did for me 10 years ago. They can have occasional victories but like Samson did, but you get the idea that they could have been so much more if they just would have been connected to him. Second of all, a disconnected believer does not inspire others to take God seriously. <laughs> Samson's a good illustration of this because what Samson did in his 20 years, he was a judge. He did alone. Nobody followed him. Nobody. 
When he was battling the Philistines, he did that completely alone. If Samson would have stood up and said, let's get rid of our idols, let's get dedicated to God, and let's go take care of these Philistines, who would have taken them seriously? Nobody. If you don't have that connection to God, don't expect other people around you to take God seriously. You're not going to inspire them at all. Because, going back to what we said earlier, functionally, you're just living like an atheist anyway. There's no difference in your life. Next, disconnected people don't take sin seriously. They got sin in their life. God must be okay with it. I'm sure Samson thought God must be okay with, with visiting prostitutes and, and getting drunk and all. He must be okay with it. Nothing's happened yet. And that's what they think. They don't take their sin seriously. And next, disconnected people will make Christianity about following rules rather than being led by the Spirit. Oh, yes. We talked about that several weeks ago. The tragedy is that we have so many people in our churches that settle for being disconnected with God. I mean, it's obvious. We talked about this before, all, all the stuff that's going on. They, they just settle for that. Look at all the mess in the church. You know, the stuff that's just inside the walls. The way you treat the church is the way you treat Christ. And, and what we need to realize is that God's not going to send his manifest presence where we prefer a substitute. We're okay with having a substitute for that. So I've got a few questions to ask you as we close this out. and We're almost done. Number one, are you passionate about God changing the world? Most Christians would say yes. You're apparently not too passionate about it. You didn't stand up and yes, 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 have God change the world. But I'm going to give you the benefit of doubt. You know, snowing makes you want to go and sit by your fireplace and drink a cup of chocolate and take a nap. I know. So are you passionate about God changing the world? Just, just say yes. Just I mean, just say yes. Okay. All right. Good. Next question. Are you passionate about God changing your life? Different question, isn't it? Because a lot of times we want God to do something about what's going on around us, but we don't want God to do something in here because we think I'm doing okay. Are you so obsessed with Jesus that the word sell doesn't scare you? He says to the rich young ruler, sell it all, come and follow me. Oh, scared him to death. Can't do that. Because he had focused on what he's going to lose, not how the opportunity to be connected to the God of the universe, to be in his presence. To know him. It's all about that. Is God calling you to obey in an area, but you're hesitating because it feels like a loss? If so, you don't get Jesus. You don't get that connection. God wants you to do something, but you say, no, no, no. I want to hold on to that grudge. I can't forgive them. You know, I want to keep this in my life. This sin, I want to keep this going. 
You know what God wants you to do, but you're not willing to do it because it feels like too much of a loss. Then you don't get Jesus. And then finally, this verse in Isaiah 64.1, if only you would tear the heavens open and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence. Oh, if only that was a cry of our hearts. God, just come down so, so my soul just quakes at your presence. Just tear apart heaven and come down on this place, on this church, on us as your people. If that was just a cry of our hearts, God, I've got to have you. What a difference it would make. Otherwise, we wind up, instead of eliminating everything, being captivated by the the worries of the world and, and riches and things like that. Remember, you can't do both, okay? You have to decide which one you want. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.